Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranik, a TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies, and your host for the program. This is episode 61. So far, the Grizzlies have played one preseason game. It was an unusual preseason game at that against the Milwaukee Bucks. Got some observations on that, and then we'll introduce you to a new friend of the program, Chris Harrington. If you're a Grizzlies fan, you probably have read his work in the Commercial Appeal, the Memphis Flyer, and now in the Daily Memphian. We visit with him and get his take on the first game of the preseason and where he sees this Grizzlies team going forward. That's all included in today's episode 61 of the Grizz Weekly Grind, which is being brought today by Garner Framing Company. If there was one thing you could do, one bold action you could take, one inspired choice you could make, one investment guaranteed to transform Memphis, would you do it? Well, if that answer is yes, here's your chance. The Grizzlies Foundation is looking for Memphians to be the difference in a child's life by becoming a volunteer mentor. There are 800 youth in Memphis waiting for your decision today. So don't delay. Join the movement. Become a member at grizzliesfoundation.org. This message brought to you through the generous support of Garner Framing Company, serving Memphis for 70 years. They're a proud supporter of the Memphis Grizzlies Foundation. They're doing their framing consultations by appointment. Call my friend Chris Garner at 901-685-7796. So the Grizzlies did play a preseason game on Tuesday night against the Milwaukee Bucks. Giannis Adetokounmpo, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton all did not play for the Milwaukee Bucks. The score through three quarters was 87-77. There was no fourth quarter. And uh, for those of you who uh, did not read the story or were, were not aware of exactly what happened, let me explain. So we finished three quarters, and all of a sudden the uh, fire alarms are going off inside FedEx form. The lights in the building dim, the uh, flashers go off, and the sirens go off, and we know that we have a fire alarm issue inside FedEx form. Uh, pretty rapidly, the two teams were sent back to their locker room. The first goal was to determine what the emergency, if there was an emergency, what it was, and where the fire alarm was being tripped. Turned out that the sprinkler system or a sprinkler in a non-public area of FedEx form had been triggered. I don't know exactly why or how it got triggered, but that really wasn't the most important thing. But while they were trying to figure all this out, all of a sudden, we're sitting courtside doing the broadcast for Bally Sports Southeast, and we see Mike Budenholzer walk diagonally across the floor from the visitor's end to the home end out toward the loading dock. He's got his suitcase that he's wheeling behind him. Players are already dressed in their regular clothes. They're out of uniform. They uh, have picked up all the food trays that were delivered for the post-game buffet, and they're all walking to the loading dock. And uh, he also, uh, Mike Budenholzer also made, you know, the throat slash gesture, basically saying, we're done. That was news to the NBA. Uh, Even though it's a preseason game, The only entity that can declare a game abandoned or suspended or postponed or canceled or anything else is the NBA. I don't know where Mike Budenholzer got the idea that that the game should just be over. Uh, Clearly, he didn't want to wait around through the delay, whatever length it might be. And so he he just walked his guys over over to the bus and, and buses into the loading dock. 
Well, meanwhile, the NBA, of course, is getting involved in this and basically saying, well, you just can't walk out of an arena before the end of the game. There was no danger to players. There was no danger to uh, fans in the stands. And in fact, we had a live shot uh, on our telecast of fans being allowed back into the building. The issue was in a non-public area. So the thought was, we are still going to play basketball. But the problem was, both teams had their players change out of their uniforms. I presume their their tape would have been cut off their ankles. They had started to eat their post-game meals. And now you were faced with a situation where, how do you get players ready to play a basketball game after they have cooled down after three quarters They've showered, they've dressed, they're eating their post-game meal. There, there's no way that logistically you can get them back on the floor to retape everybody, to restretch everybody, just to play 12 minutes of a preseason game seemed to be pretty nonsensical. And, and ultimately, uh, the NBA said the game would be uh, suspended at that point. And uh, since it's a preseason game, obviously it, it's not going to be replayed or picked up uh from the point of interruption. And so it goes into the books, I guess, as an 87-77 victory for the Grizzlies in the first preseason game of the preseason. So what did we learn from Tuesday's preseason game against the Milwaukee Bucks? Uh, number one, Mike Budenholzer doesn't care for preseason games and, and didn't want to stick around. We, we, we figured that out. Um, there are a couple of things that I wanted to talk about. And, and number one is easily the most obvious. And it was glaringly obvious to anybody that watched even a five-minute clip of the game. And, and that is John Morant was fantastic. I know. Small sample size, playing a Milwaukee team that was without at least three of their starters uh, and only mildly interested in playing the game, I guess, in the first place. But we saw an aggressive John Morant who made, I thought, better basketball decisions. You don't have to dunk everything. Sometimes a mid-range shot is fine. A floater is fine. A drive to the bucket is fine that doesn't end in a dunk. It's all fine. It just He was clearly the best player on the floor, and it wasn't even close. Uh, and again, I know he's not being guarded by Drew Holiday. It, it, it's a slightly different deal. But what we saw from John Morant was – what he looked like in the playoffs last year against the Utah Jazz. This is the type of John Morant that prompted Grizzlies general manager Zach Kleiman to say during media day, without being prompted, John Morant is going to be an all-star. He plays like this, he will be an all-star. I, I know, let, let's, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. It's only the first preseason game. But what you need to know about John Morant in the offseason he put in a tremendous summer working with trainers in Miami, Los Angeles, and in Las Vegas, and worked on his offensive game, worked on the confidence-building aspects of his offensive game so that his offensive game can be more varied. He needs to be a viable scoring threat for this Grizzlies team to really thrive. Can't solely be a setup guy cannot have quarters where he doesn't score and maybe gets one or two assists. He needs to be absolutely, positively the most assertive alpha guy on the floor, and I'm including both teams in that statement. He has to 
bend the game to his will. He has the ability to do that. And if John Morant does that on a consistent basis, this Grizzlies team is going to be in really, really good shape. 27 points, six boards, four assists, I think. Really, really solid performance from him, and and, and that was through three quarters. Another random observation was about the starting lineup that Taylor Jenkins put on the floor. Uh, Dylan Brooks being bothered by a sore thigh, so he did not play at all, was not in uniform. So you got a starting five with John Morant, Desmond Bain, DeAnthony Melton, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Steven Adams. So what this tells me, at least the thought off the top for the Grizzlies, is that they will go smaller on the wing. So you're looking at Dylan at a three, Bain at the two, Jaron at the four, Adams at the five. And, of course, Morant will be your starting point guard. Going a little bit smaller, a little bit more offensive firepower, I think. Uh, and Desmond Bain, as a two, has an opportunity to initiate offense, to be a, a decent ball handler and a decent distributor. What it does, if you go this route, is you're now bringing Kyle Anderson off the bench, most likely at a four, but a four who can initiate the offense. I think it's incumbent on the Grizzlies to find other guys who can initiate offense for them other than John Morant or Tyus Jones. Desmond Bain can do that. Kyle Anderson can do it. Uh, and those are those are the guys that you are really going to look for for that type of production. So I don't know that this will be – I don't know that the opening night lineup is going to be Morant and Bain in the backcourt with a front court of Brooks, Jackson, and Adams. That might be the way it plays out. I don't know. The Grizzlies still have a couple more preseason games. In fact, five preseason games to be precise. And they've got one Thursday night when they will take on the Charlotte Hornets. Then on Saturday, they've got Atlanta. The Monday uh, on October the 11th, they've got Detroit. And then a quick two-game road trip to Indiana and Chicago on the 13th and 15th of October. So uh, Taylor Jenkins has some time to figure it out. I would imagine that Dylan Brooks, I don't think that this thigh injury is anything serious. I would imagine that He'll be back during the preseason just to get some reps in and, and to figure this whole thing out. That's observation uh, number two. Uh, the third one is Zaire Williams. Yes, he looks incredibly thin, but he did not look overmatched, did not look out of place, despite the fact that he was just a one-and-done at Stanford. Uh, he's got a freakish athleticism about him. He does have a court presence about him. Uh, and I thought he acquitted himself very, very well in his first real NBA game. And I'm, I'm saying that some, you know, summer league doesn't really count. This was a real, even though it was a preseason game. There's a possibility that he could be a rotational player for this Grizzlies team. Uh, there are going to be quite a few roster decisions and playing time decisions that are going to have to be made. Brandon Clark, for example, did not even see the floor in that three-quarter game. I don't know. Maybe he would have been on the floor in the fourth quarter. Don't know. Final observation is that I think Steven Adams might be better than people thought when the trade was made. We all miss Jonas Valanciunas. Personally, I love Jonas Valanciunas. I love his game. I love his sense of humor. I love kind of the, the combination of gravitas and levity that he brought to the locker room while he was with the Grizzlies. And and he's going to be missed. I don't think there's any question about that. Steven Adams has a pretty good resume. And 
while he is not going to be Valanchunas in terms of the ability to or or willingness to take a pull up three pointer, he does have the opportunity and the ability and the facility to be a very good offensive rebounder, as Jonas was. Remember, the Grizzlies really didn't run a whole lot of plays for Jonas. Now, they may have initiated the offense by throwing it to him on the elbow, and I think that the Grizzlies will do the same thing, really, with Steven Adams. I mean, that's been a tradition, really, here in Memphis. You initiate your offense through the elbow with a big guy, whether it's Pau Gasol, Mark Gasol, uh, or it's going to be Steven Adams or Jonas Valanciunas. So uh, I-, I liked Adams' hustle. Liked his physicality, like his work on the offensive glass. Uh, and, and I think he can be a sneaky good passer. And it will be interesting to see because here's a guy who used to play with Russell Westbrook. And I, I want to see how he and John Morant, what what their partnership will look like. You know, I, I, I'm not saying that, that Westbrook and, and Morant are the same type of player or same style of player, but clearly Adams has, you know, played with, with Westbrook, and now he has a chance to play with Morant. And I will be very interested to see how that partnership works out. So those are just some quick observations on the Milwaukee game. Again, how much can you really pull from a game that's only 36 minutes long uh, and Milwaukee's not playing their front-line guys? You can't pull a whole lot out of it. But you do like what you see from John Morant, certainly like, what you saw from Desmond Bain, of course, Adams was good as well. Jaron Jackson Jr., slow start for him, rebounded better. Offensive game was was a bit of a struggle. But, you know, he, he only had 11 regular season games and then the play-in and playoff games. So I'm it, it's going to take a while for him to kind of get his legs under him. And so I think we're going to give him a – we're going to give him an incomplete, and I think it, it's going to take him probably the whole of, of preseason to get into a rhythm, to get into a groove. And once he does, I mean, he really has tremendous ability on both ends of the floor. We saw his defensive ability blocking shots against Milwaukee. We saw his finishes at the rim against Milwaukee. Three-point shooting, well, he did hit one, but um, he just needs to be a very, very diversified player. And I think the more diversified he can be, the more dangerous he can be for this Grizzlies team as they go forward into the 21-22 NBA season, which will start in Memphis on Wednesday, October the 20th. 901-888 Hoop, by the way, for tickets to uh, get to the opener. 7 o'clock tip on Wednesday, October the 20th. Grizzlies and the Cleveland Cavaliers, the opener of the 21-22 NBA season. Before we get to our friend of the program, I want to tell everybody that we are going into season number two of the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. We'll be going back to a twice-a-week schedule, Mondays and Thursdays. Going to open up the mailbag, and uh, the mailbag can be uh, accessed via Twitter and my direct messages. I'm at Pete Pranica, P-E-T-E-P-R-A-N-I-C-A. All you have to do, just leave me a question in the direct messages, and once I get enough questions, we will open up the Grizzlies mailbag, and I thought... The start of a new season would be a good time to do that. So uh, go ahead and uh, leave me a question, and we'll get to it in a future edition of the Grizz Weekly Grind. Also feel free to subscribe, rate, review, and uh, share this podcast with your friends. Also a reminder that today's show is being brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. You know, hockey is back, and DraftKings Sportsbook has an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice. New customers can bet just $1 on any hockey game, and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. Doesn't matter if it's a one-time slap shot or deflection. However they light the lamp, you win. Now, Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, 
DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TBPN, throw down $1 on any hockey game, and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net gets you a big win with promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit, and $1 wager required. One per customer, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problems? Call one 800 gambler and now on to our friend of the program if you have been a Grizzlies fan for any length of time you know all about Chris Harrington you have read him in the Memphis Flyer you have read him in the commercial appeal and now with the Daily Memphian you can also follow him on Twitter at Chris Harrington C-H-R-I-S-H-E-R-R-I-N-G-T-O-N always has thoughtful well-reasoned takes on the Memphis Grizzlies so he is a natural as our friend of the program Chris, Tuesday night offered us yet another opportunity to hear the uh, FedEx form alarm system go off and, and a game that, that was was foreshortened. What did you see in the three quarters that uh, that were played between the Grizzlies and the Bucks? Yeah, it seems, it seems like FedEx form has to get that out of its system once every three or four years, um, if I remember correctly. That's at least the third time we've done one of those. Of course, it's been 20 years or, or, or thereabouts. Um, I think, you know, in a preseason game, if the coach is going to play it sort of normal, at least from the jump, which is what Taylor Jenkins did and what Mike Budenholzer did not, I think you learn more from how players are used than how they play. I think you have to be careful not to make too much out of performance from players and, you know, just a few quarters of a preseason game. But I think you can learn something about not necessarily what the coaching staff is going to do with the roster on opening night, but what, what their sort of default settings are going into the, into training camp, into the preseason. Um, Our old buddy, John Hollinger had tweeted the day before um, something to the effect of, you know, coaches talk about experimenting with different lineups, but in the first preseason game, they throw out the one they've been thinking about all summer. And so I I think the two main things that I think we learned, um, you know, have to allow that Dylan Brooks was not available but I think we learned that that the, the default settings are to play smaller on the wing, to play Kyle Anderson primarily at the four, and the fallout from those two decisions is to create an odd man out potentially in the front court where you, if Kyle Anderson is a, is a four, you have five rotation players for four spots in a 10-man rotation. And the other fallout is that it maybe opens up a spot on the wing. And it looks like Zaire Williams might be sort of first in line to maybe get some minutes, at least initially. You know, Dylan Brooks was not available last night. And so DeAnthony Melton got the start. Now we saw Desmond Bain, obviously, as a second-year guy, get a lot of run in, in summer league and saw him initiate some of the offense. So when you talk about the Grizzlies going smaller on the wing, that would be Dylan at the three and, and probably Desmond Bain at the two. Do you see that in terms of form and function as just being – uh, having a better floor spacer uh, in Desmond Bain on the floor to start the game and also a guy who can, to some extent, initiate offense? Is, is that what you're seeing with with that potential lineup from Taylor Jenkins? I mean, if the decision, and I don't know that it is, but I think a lot of my, my assumption and a lot of people's assumptions before training camp started, if the final starting line decision came down to Desmond Bain versus Kyle Anderson for a fifth spot, 
if that's the decision, it's essentially a, a decision of shooting versus everything else, which is not to say that Desmond Bain can't do more than shoot or that Kyle Anderson can't shoot. But if you're like doing a tell of the tape, like Desmond Bain's the better shooter. And right now, Kyle Anderson is better at basically everything else. He's a better defender, better, better ball handler, better passer, better rebounder. And so it, there's a little bit of a value proposition there of how important is shooting to you. But I think shooting's really important to Taylor Jenkins. That's the one thing that he has consistently preached when he's talked throughout training camp and preseason about wanting to increase the volume of three-point shooting for the team. Uh, the Grizzlies, by one measure, um, were 27th in the league in frequency of three-point attempts last season. I, I think they want to sort of change their shot selection, especially in the half-court offense, and get more three-point shots. Um, and so I think, you know, I think that feeds into it if it is Desmond Bain. I also think, and Taylor Jenkins has said this, they really like Kyle Anderson at the four. I think they prefer him at the four to the three. I think that's probably a correct assessment on their part. I do think Kyle can still play the three depending on the rest of the lineup. I think he, I think it works with him at the three when you have Jaron in the front court because you get spacing on the front court. But I think they want more shooting on the four, period. And I think they like Kyle Anderson better at the four. And this is sort of how you accomplish both of those goals. Yeah, and one of the things, too, that people talked about when the Grizzlies acquired Stephen Adams, understanding that there is some parallels with Jonas Valanciunas in terms of offensive rebounding ability and ability to play from the elbow. But there were some people who said, well, maybe the Grizzlies start Jaron at the five and Kyle at the four, and Adams is a guy coming off the bench. But I, I have to admit, I have been pleasantly surprised with what I've seen from Steven Adams. Small sample size, I know, one preseason game. But what do you see from Steven Adams and what his role can be with this group? Yeah, I, I, I've never had any anticipation they would not start Steven Adams. I do think it will be common for them to finish games, depending on the flow of the game, with Jaron at the five and perhaps a Kyle Anderson at the four or perhaps a Jaron Tillman, you know, who's the four, who's the five in that combo. I don't know. I, I think Jaron starting at the five or finishing at the five and Stephen Adams not closing games, I think will happen frequently. Not every night. It'll be a game flow matchup kind of decision, but I think Stephen Adams is going to be your starting center. And to me, the real question with Stephen Adams is it, his apparent decline. And I, I want to emphasize apparent his apparent decline last season relative to what his career norms had been, was that actual decline or was that environmental? Is that being in a different situation, a different system, different teammates that didn't really fit him? And I think there's ample reason for the Grizzlies to hope that it, that it was just environmental, that it's not, that it's not him um, because it coincided with changing, changing teams. And it coincided with, with the team that was struggling defensively with or without him and a team that he, the one thing about Steven Adams is he played his whole career prior to the last season with dynamic point guards, mostly Russell Westbrook, but then one season of Chris Paul. And he has a lot of muscle memory of like setting the pick and then playing off of reacting to this dynamic on ball point guard. He didn't have that in new Orleans. He's got that in spades with John Morant. Um, and so I do think you could see a little bit of a repetition of some of that dynamic of, of the way Steven Adams helped facilitate Russell Westbrook a little bit and help feed off of Russell Westbrook's penetration and that sort of symbiotic relationship that those two had. I think you could see a little bit of that with John Morant. We're visiting with Chris Harrington of the Daily Memphian. He's written about the Memphis Grizzlies for any number of publications, and you can read his work nationally as well in some of the preview publications. He's our friend of the program today on the Grizz Weekly Grind. And, you know, it, it, it's funny that you bring that up, Chris, because while we were filling for 45 minutes Tuesday night trying right. to figure out whether the game was going to continue or not, the thought did occur to me, 
you know, what, what does Steven Adams think about playing with John Morant, given that he has played with dynamic point guards in the past and not asking him to compare necessarily, but what is it like as a big to have somebody like a John Morant? And I suspect we'll get, we'll get that answer somewhere down the line with job worked very, very hard on his confidence, worked very hard on his shot in the off season. What I liked about him, at least to my eyes last night or Tuesday night was his consistent offensive aggression. There weren't these periods where he was kind of sort of invisible like he was during periods of games last year trying to get everybody else involved. He's really got to get his own, I think, in order to really flesh out his game. Well, I think one of the keys to being a better shooter is to be a more confident shooter. And, you know, you saw him with the pull-up three in transition. And I won't say there was zero hesitation on it, but there was a little bit less hesitation than maybe we've grown accustomed to seeing, right? It wasn't quite a, a Steph Curry, Damian Lillard quick trigger, but but he, he got into it quicker and, and was more more aggressive with pulling the trigger on it than maybe had, that had been the case in the past. We also saw the nice little pull-up mid-range shot, which not a floater, but a mid-range jump shot, which is something we haven't really seen a lot of from him in an effective way. Um, I mean, I don't think jump shooting is going to be John Rant's bread and butter anytime soon, but if he could add that to his arsenal, it just sets up his drives that much more. And I think we, we, we've seen glimpses of a player and we saw it obviously against Utah when he averaged 30 points in the first round series at a 40, I think 47 point game. Um, he is a player who has the talent. If he develops a better shot, he could be a 30 point scorer in the NBA. No, I don't know if that's best for the Grizzlies. You know, what's the right balance when getting his own offense and, and setting up others, but he has the talent to be that kind of high twenties level scorer. If the jump shot improves and if he wants to be that like that, that, that is there. That's a, that's a road he could go down. Right. And, and another thing too, about that Utah series, I think he averaged eight free throw attempts per game over the course of the five game series. And, and if he is going to be aggressive, he is going to start to get calls and his body continues to get stronger. doesn't have to put on a whole lot of weight in order for him to absorb the pounding. A guy who is probably going to put on a little bit of weight. Uh, I'm not sure if the 5,000 calorie diet is, is still in effect, but I, I did talk to Zaire and he said, uh, yeah, sometimes I'm, I'm, they're telling me to eat when I'm not hungry, which is, which is kind of difficult. Zaire Williams, this was a bit of a departure for the Grizzlies front office, a more of an upside pick rather than a Desmond Bain or Xavier Tillman or even Dylan Brooks that had been in school for multiple years. What is a reasonable expectation for him? Is he a solid rotation player or is he on the fringe of the rotation or is this a more of a developmental situation you think for Zaire Williams and the Grizzlies? Well, my assumption has been the latter, more developmental, and that's still my assumption but I'm a little surprised that like the early hints are that he could be the 10th man in a 10 man rotation. When you jump, I mean, that's the way, that's the way he's been slotted in preseason. That's the way he was slotted in the open scrimmage. If, if we are seeing a default setting of the coaching staff relative to the lineups and the rotations, that default setting seems to have him as the fourth wing. And if you play a 10 man rotation, which is what Taylor Jenkins has done in the regular season, since he's been here, well, guess what? You're in the rotation. I'm still not convinced that's going to be the case. Um, I think defensively in particular, I'm not sure he's ready for that on a team that's trying to make the playoffs right now. He's so thin and so inexperienced. Um, and so I see it. My assumption is that it will revert back to more of a developmental situation, but I'm encouraged by what I've seen so far. I've finally seen him in person for the first time, you know, in preseason and then in, in, in the open scrimmage, he looks like a guy who's young and thin and needs experience and physical development. 
he does not look like a player who doesn't belong. He does not look like a player who does not fit out there. And whether that was the right pick or not at 10 is a separate question. But from a talent standpoint, he looks like a player who was worthy of a lottery pick. Yeah, I, th- I remember Kevin Durant being tall and thin and skinny. <laughs> I'm, yeah. not, I'm not. I'm not trying to say he's going to turn out to be the next Kevin Durant, but I think a lot of it, a, a lot, so much. Th- and, and Chris, this is what bothers me about the NBA Combine. You know, measured with with shoes, with socks, and they're vertical. It's like, you know, yeah, no, they just have to go out and be able to play the game. And I think that's the that is really what you need. And that's why sometimes I have a, a, a an issue with the Combine and all the numbers and and all that. Jaron Jackson Jr. Yeah, yeah, had- I, I, I haven't looked up his hand width. I mean, I, that, that, Chris <laughs> Wallace was always big on, on the hand width. I, I've neglected to look that up on Zaire Williams. So yeah, I need to add the, that to my, my scout. Or the, or the, or the wingspan. Right. Jaron Jackson Jr. You know, finally recovered from the knee injury, had a full healthy offseason. There were moments in Tuesday's game where he looked really good and then other moments where he looked like he was struggling defensively. Fouls continued to be an issue for him. Uh, what, what's the prognosis on, on, on Jaron Jackson Jr.? Because it, it's my considered opinion that the Grizzlies will go as far as Jaron Jackson can help them. We know what we're going to get from John Morant. We're pretty sure what we can get from Dylan Brooks and from a lot of the other core players. But I, to me, Jaron rem, rem, remains a bit of an enigma in terms of what he will be able to contribute to this team. What, what, what's your take? Yeah, I, I've sort of labeled Jaron the last year or so as the tipping point player for the franchise, both both stylistically and qualitatively, I think, in terms of the way they're going to play and how well they can play long term, because I do think John Morant is more the given. There was a quote from Jaron and Media Day that I remember, and he said, he said something like, you know, I was out for a minute. Everybody and their mama was waiting for me to come back. And I think there he was out so long and he struggled so much, you know, getting thrust into this team in the middle of the playoff race in the playoffs. I think there's a lot of um, impatience with him to get back on the trajectory that everyone wants him to be on. And I would hope there can be a little bit of patience with him, like from the fans in particular. I mean, I've been around a long time as you have, and I just had, I had memories of like certain players fans would grow impatient with, right? Pal Gasol went through this, who was one of the, you know, you could argue the greatest player ever in the franchise, but there was a lot of consternation about him sometimes right. in his development. Mike Conley went through it early in his career. Sometimes with, with Marcus Saul, there'd be some fan, fan consternation. Rudy Gay, like these are all big time players, right? And I think Jaron's going to be a big time player. I think, you know, he he's missed so much time. He is still, and at some point people will get sick of hearing this, but he is still so young. Um, you know, he is, if, if Zaire Williams is not in the rotation opening night, Jaron Jackson may still be the, the youngest player in the Grizzlies opening night rotation. He's younger <laughs> than Desmond Bain. He's younger than John Morant. And I think big men are taking longer to develop now in the NBA than maybe was the case 10 years ago. And so I feel good about Jaron's trajectory, assuming he can stay healthy. And I have no reason to assume he won't. Um, but I do think people need to be a little patient with it. I think I expect a meaningful step forward from him this season on both sides of the ball, but I don't expect him to take the same kind of leap alongside John Morant, right? Um, but you look at two seasons ago, his age 20 season, second year in the league, averaged 17 points a game. Um, he was top 10 in the NBA in block shots that that season. I think he, I think I want to see him back on that trajectory. I expect him to guy who's going to be a guy who's gonna average in the high teens, it's going to block a couple shots a game. I think his rebounding should get better. Not good, but should get better. I think his defense should get more solid. 
I think the foul rate you hope while still high will come down and you'll just see little steps forward along the right path. That would be my hope for him and my expectation, frankly. Yeah. I mean, I, I would see him being in the high teens and maybe seven, eight rebounds a game and give you a couple of blocks and, and be available and not be in foul trouble, I think would be probably the best case scenario for the Grizzlies. Roster crunch certainly is going to occur. A couple of guys that the Grizzlies got in the offseason, talking about Jared Culver and Chris Dunn. Do either of those guys either make the roster or have a significant impact as a rotation player, or are or is this team just too deep for some of these guys to to really make an impact? Oh, I well, you throw Sam Merrill into that too. It's, it right. seems like it seems like three players won two spots in terms of that dynamic. Um, you know, if you play a ten man rotation, then the eleventh and twelfth guys are going to get get their opportunities, right? Right now, Brandon Clark maybe is 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 you know next man up in the front court. I think that that's sort of a hot thing to figure out who's next man up on the perimeter. I maybe John Conchar, right? So now you have those guys outside of even that really the back end of your roster. I think Chris Dunn is the player who could help them the most this season with his experience and his level of defense. But honestly, I don't know if this is like the way you really want to go with it, but to me, this decision may be less of an on, on, on court decision than an off court decision. Um, these guys are all next, all three on expiring contracts. Um, they're all on guaranteed expiring contracts. So whoever you cut, like that's sunk money. That, that does not really factor. You're not saving anything. And so to me, there is a question of who potentially has more trade utility to you later in the season. And I think Chris Dunn and Jarrett Culver have the larger expiring contracts than Sam Merrill. And if I'm Zach Kleiman, if I'm being honest, I might make my decision based on that. Certainly would be understandable. Chris, final question for you. What's, what's the ceiling on this team? Uh, a ninth seed two years in a row, first year losing the only play in game there was to the Portland Trailblazers. And last year, uh, winning, uh, winning a game with the San Antonio Spurs and then winning another play in game to get into the playoffs. Are they again in that play in tournament type mode, or is there any possibility that they can ascend into the top six? Well, I mean, this is a good point because I think with the new structure, you really turn each conference to a three-tier situation, right? It's a six, a four, and a five. Um, and the five is you're out, and the six is you're in, and then the four is you're in the play-in. I have a hard time seeing the Grizzlies get up into the six. I wouldn't fully rule it out if John Morant truly takes the leap, but I think that's fairly far-fetched. I think it'd be a huge disappointment to fall into that bottom five. And so I think they're, they are more than likely a play-in team again. But I, but I think it matters where you are in that play-in. And I think there is room for them to move up, even you know even in the absence of Jonas Valanciunas and figuring out if you can make up for all that you missed there because you miss an awful lot. I think the Grizzlies can take a step forward because they have a lot of individual players who are going to get better starting with John Morant. But I also think the middle of the West is there's room to move. Like I am someone who is, I am lower on the Clippers this season than what seems to be consensus. If Kawhi Leonard's not going to play, I don't think what you saw in the playoffs without Kawhi is what you're going to see for 82 games. You know, Portland, I think, made a great move to add Larry Nance, um, but I don't think they're invulnerable. Um, and Dallas, as great as Luka is, the rest of that roster is no great shakes. And so I think there's vulnerability there. And I questions about Porzingis, for sure. Yeah, definitely. So I think the Grizzlies have a chance to have a good season on their own terms, but also to catch or pass one or more of those teams, which would push them up higher than ninth. And I don't think the Grizzlies will get caught by one of the teams behind them. I actually, I'm not high on any of those teams. 
Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Well, Chris, thanks so much for the time. I have always appreciated your analysis and thoughtful breakdown of the Grizzlies, no matter what publication for which you are writing currently now with the Daily Memphian. And uh, we look forward to seeing you at FedEx Forum uh, throughout the rest of the season where we can actually be there and be reasonably close to courtside and uh, with people in the building and hopefully four full quarters next time the Grizzlies take the floor. Well, it's a pleasure to talk to you always online or off. So thanks for having me on. Always enjoy talking with Chris. Always enjoy reading his columns and his stories. His takes on basketball are always very well thought out. They are very well reasoned and uh, not a guy who deals in knee-jerk reactions to things, but uh, really thinks things through. And so a very, very thoughtful person and well-respected, not only here in Memphis, but uh, around the country as somebody who really knows what they're talking about when it comes to NBA basketball. So very appreciative of Chris taking the time from his busy schedule to uh, visit with us as our friend of the program. That's a wrap for Episode 61 of the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. Hope you enjoyed today's show, and we'll see you next time.